don't need to alter it. The truths written in it from a thousand years is still the same truths that apply to our lives today. So uh, we're journeying through the book of Colossians, and uh, we have done a couple of weeks, and kind of our main drive, the main truth that we want to drive home as much as possible every week when we gather is that the whole truth about the Bible is about Jesus and about nothing else. And so that's why we've said Jesus plus nothing. Um, and if we wanted to, we could have said equal everything because Jesus gives us everything. There's nothing more that we need apart from Jesus. Um, and so I just want to pray for us all just because I've uh, just been feeling uh, just the weightiness of uh, what I Whenever I open God's Word, whenever I stand up here, whenever I share the truth, I want it to be God's truth. I don't want to add any doctrine. I don't want to take anything away from it. Um, and so let me just pray for us. Father God, I pray that, Lord Jesus, the, the seed that comes from your Word, Father God, that is, that is not perishable. It is imperishable, Father God, that it will be living and it will penetrate our hearts this morning, Father God. I pray for our hearts. Lord Jesus, that it would be soft, fertile soil, Lord Jesus, this morning. Father, I pray that, Lord Jesus, your word would settle deep in our hearts. And Father God, that your Holy Spirit would come in and, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, just come and water us, make us soft, make our hearts open to you. Lord Jesus, things that we have maybe have believed for years, for decades, uh, we've had an opinion on. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would come in this morning with your truth and that you would break through any, any heart that needs to be broken open and that the seed of your word would come deep inside of us. And Holy Spirit, may that thing that germinate, may it take root, Father God, and may it blossom. May it be a, a seed that eventually bears amazing fruit, Lord Jesus. Amen. Awesome. So, uh, like I said, we're journeying through Colossians. If this is your first time here, Colossians was written by a book, uh, by a book, Colossians was written by a guy called Paul, um, and uh, he was actually on the house arrest when he was writing this letter for preaching the word of God. Uh, he was probably in Rome when he was writing this letter, same as when he was writing Ephesians and to Philemon, uh, that letter. So he was two years house arrest, um, and he's writing to this church in Colossae. Um, and so he's writing this letter because one of the guys from the church in Colossae approached him and said, please, we're going through a lot of stuff, Paul. Uh, please, this is what we're going through. Give me advice. You know, just guide me in the right direction. And the way he does that is he writes a letter to the church in Colossae. And so um, that's kind of what's happening. I, I just, I think sometimes we talk about these cities and we have no idea what we're talking about geographically. I like geography. So uh, the first map there that we have uh, is just kind of telling you whereabouts in the world uh, Colossi would be, um, and so that's in Turkey, modern-day Turkey. Um, if you don't know where we are, um, just keep it to yourself. Um, hopefully you're not putting there, there, definitely not there. Um, we're down here somewhere, hey? Yeah, we're not on that map as well, thanks. Um, so... Colossi would be in modern-day Turkey. Um, it was a trade route city, so second map. Um, 
you can see here it's just zoomed in a bit. There's Turkey and there's Italy, Greece in the middle. And uh, what they believe is that this guy called Ephesus, uh, yeah, he came to, um, uh, what am I saying, Ephesus? Epaphras, there we go, yes, see. Epaphras traveled to Ephesus to hear Paul preach, and then he took back the good news to Colossae, started a church, um, and things were not going well in the church, as I mentioned. And then he made a journey all the way to go and see Paul. So he journeyed, what it says there, almost 1,900 kilometers just to go and see Paul and say, hey, bro, I am struggling. Please, can I just sit and hear what you have to say? And Paul takes the time, writes his letter. But I mean, that journey would have taken him weeks, months to get to Paul, and then the same thing back. So this is the kind of commitment that we're seeing, and that's the commitment that we need to carry in our hearts to say, I don't just want to deal with the issue the way that I think. I want to make sure that it's a biblical, godly way of dealing with stuff. And so why did um, Epaphras go? What was the purpose um, of, of Colossians? And I'm just summarizing quickly. The purpose of the book uh, was really to address heresy. So a lot of things that have been added to the gospel, the good news, the truths about Jesus coming. Uh, there were a lot of things happening in the life of the church, in the community, in Colossae, that Epaphras was struggling to address um, and that people, Christians, were struggling with. Not people that were not saved. So he's not saying, sheesh, we've got a lot of people doing crazy stuff. We've got homosexuals. We've got these people believing this, 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 this. We don't know how to get them to church. No, this letter is addressed to people in the church that are exposed to all those things and that are adding some of that stuff to their gospel, to the good news that Jesus has given them. So he, this letter is addressed to believers. It's a church of believers. Okay, and so some of the things that he addresses, and we'll get into those things more in depth later on in the year, is things like ceremonialism. So saying, hey, you, even though you're saved, you still need to observe these feasts because they actually make you holier before God. And so uh, it would be like us saying, hey, guys, if you don't come on Easter weekend, yeesh. God's going to hold that against you. If you don't come on Christmas, if you don't, you know, do all these things, if you don't buy everyone in your family a gift, it's going to be, you know, it's not going to go well for you because God's going to, whenever you go to heaven, He might not even allow you into heaven because you didn't observe these festivals or these ceremonies. So that's going on. Um, there's severe self-discipline and uh, denying self-indulgence. So even though they save, they're saying, no, whoa. We can't even, you know, it's to be like, we can't go to the movies because that just might, your God just might not be happy with us because, you know, who knows? He might take our salvation away from us because we do this. So they, they're saying, I can't touch this thing. I can't taste this thing. I can't eat of this thing. So they're putting these like strict, strict laws of saying, oh, and we can't do X, Y, Z. And they're adding to God's gospel. They're adding to the truth of what Jesus preached, Okay. Um, and so that's happening. There's angel worship happening. Um, there's basically a devaluation or a deappreciation of what Jesus did. Okay? They, they're not saying what, what Jesus did was enough. They're actually 
taking away from his sacrifice. That's happening. Um, there's this, this new thing going on in, in Colossae, but it, kind of in the whole world, is that if you have the secret knowledge of, it's just secret truths, then actually you will become like a mini-god, and you will know more, and you will probably be saved. So there's all these weird, weird stuff going, and he, he talks a lot about, uh, in Colossians 2, verses 4, he says, um, I say this in order that no one may dilute you with plausible arguments, in Colossians 2, verse 4. In Colossians 8, he says that, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty deceit, according to human tradition. And so he's, he's addressing things of saying, hey, there's people that will come and they will try and win you over with an argument. They will come up with new philosophies. They will come up with, they're coming up with different ways of saying things. It sounds knowledgeable and it's actually not God's way of doing it. It's stealing or it's, you know, it's, it's not truthful. And so that's the purpose of, of this, this, this book is to address that and also to bring people back to say, hey, it's all about Christ. You know, he created us. Um, he is the very image of God. You know, he is the head of the church, so listen to him. He was resurrected. He was the first person, you know, that accomplished that thing died on the cross, rose again, and he freed us. He's, just, he's saying, hey, guys, Jesus died to reconcile you to himself. He's just spitting out all these truths to say, hey, you believers, make sure that what you're believing is biblical. Okay, so that's the purpose. And you know what happens a lot, I think, right now in the world, and it's probably going to get more and more and more as this thing of life is about me, church is about me, um, everything is about me. How do I feel? It's, it's you know, do I enjoy it? Um, it's all about me, 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 me. When we open the Bible, when we approach reading the Word, when we approach Colossians, sometimes, and I think the natural response because of the, how the, the way the world approaches things is, okay, what is this saying to me? Okay, I think it's saying this to me. This is how I will apply it. It's all about I, me, and whatever. Versus saying, okay, why was this book written? And so our approach needs to be different when we read the Bible. Okay? When we read the Word, the first step we need to have is to observe it. Okay? And this is just me getting us ready for the text that we're going to read this morning. Okay? We need to observe the text. Okay? Um, we need to find out what it says. Okay? What was written? When was it written? Okay, to who was it written? You know, how was it written? In what situation? That's what I described earlier. Hey, Paul wrote it. Where was he? Why did he write it? Now we're understanding the context of the passage when we read it. It's not just a loose scripture in the middle of nowhere and then we're like, oh, I think this means this to me today. Versus saying, what was the purpose of the text 2,000 years ago? And saying, okay, how does that apply to my life? So the second thing is we interpret the text, okay? What did it mean, okay? What did, past tense, okay? What did it mean to the Colossian church when they read it? When they got this letter addressed to them from a guy 2,000 kilometers away from them, they opened it, what did it mean to them 2,000 years ago? That's our second step. We look at what it meant to them. 
And then we get to the third step that we almost always jump to straight ahead is, okay, how do we apply it to ourselves, okay? What does this text mean to me today? How is it significant that we're still reading this book 2,000 years later and we're preaching about it? And we're, we're sitting here, we're taking time out of our weekly schedule and we're saying, okay, let the truth speak to me. That's the last step. Okay, so we understand the context a bit. We understand why it was written. So let's get to today's text. Um, so if you're in Colossians, go to verses uh, 12 of chapter 1, please. So uh, we're in chapter 1, and we're just going to do two verses today. Um, nothing intense, um, and uh, it's going to be easy, light-hearted. Nope. Um, so, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us from the kingdom to his beloved son, to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of our sins. That's it. That's all we'll look at today. Okay. Uh, two weeks ago, Clive's uh, shared on uh, verse 4, it says, uh, give thanks to God. We give thanks to God always. Uh, and here we see them saying again in, in verse 12, uh, giving thanks to God. And Clive's message was all about saying, okay, you know, giving thanks is more than just the status that we put up every now and then. It should be a lifestyle. And how does Thanksgiving become a lifestyle? Well, the only thing that we can give God give thanks for to God always is Him because He never changes. Okay, when we understand who God is, what we have in Him, it should affect our, our thanksgiving. It's not just like, okay, do I have fuel in my tank? Okay, I will give thanks. Do I have food on the table? Okay, I will give thanks. Do the things go well for me today? Okay, I'll give thanks. Because if it's situational, if it's about the circumstance that you're in, if it's about the people around you, well, guess what? You're not going to always give thanks. Because people suck sometimes. Yeah, I'll just leave it there. Um, but people are amazing too sometimes. Um, but we give thanks to God. We give thanks because God is always good. God is always faithful. God is always there. God's arms are always open. There's an always, there's an eternal, and it has been. So our thanksgiving comes from Him, and it should affect the way we walk. It should affect the way we spend time with Him. Our thanksgiving goes into our, those moments. It, it goes into our moments when we're talking to people. Okay, there's a thanksgiving in our heart. It needs to overflow if we understand who God is. If it's not, then we're probably not in the right space with God. It's not that He's saying you're a bad person, now you can't give thanks. No, we just need to understand who God is. Now, hopefully by the end of today, we can walk away with thanksgiving in our hearts because the truth that we look at will encourage us to give thanks. Okay, so the way we walk, the way we talk, the way we work needs to be affected by this thanksgiving in our heart. God, wow, this is tough, but man, thank you. Thank you for coming down to earth, dying for me, and giving me eternal life, a hope and future glory. Wow, that's affecting my life today. And so that was um, the way, you know, Clive introduced us to this thing of thanksgiving. And so the next I would say the next couple of weeks, we're going to focus on uh, a topic 
that I think most of us will be aware of, which is the gospel, the good news. And I think that many of us, if asked to turn to our neighbor, which I won't, because you've done that already. Paul told me I was beautiful, so thank you, Paul. Um, and uh, if we were to talk, turn to our neighbor right now, and if they had no idea who God is, they had never read the Bible, they had never had any exposure to church, they have no preconceived knowledge of the God we serve, would we be able to lead them to Christ with confidence from His Word, using our lives, using His life mainly, and guiding them towards the truth of being saved, and then from there to say, okay, this is the next step, this is the next step. And I think many of us don't have confidence, maybe, I know I've been there, and sometimes I still find myself, there, I'm like, God, how do, how, how do I articulate this? How do I articulate your good news effectively? Where do I start? Where do I begin? Do I have it in my heart? Because it says what the heart is full of, the mouth will overflow. Thanksgiving inside, Thanksgiving there. Gospel here, gospel there. Is the gospel here? Is it really here? You don't need to answer that. Just think about it. Could you take me through the journey? Do you know the scriptures? Do you know the truths? Do you know the doctrine? Or would we, like the Colossian church, start adding or maybe taking away stuff because we don't have a confidence in what we believe. And so our hearts for doing this is to say, guys, we need to have confidence in the truth of Jesus before we can do anything else because it has to be Jesus plus nothing. And so we're going to look at the good news. And uh, I was thinking about this thing about good news. So the word gospel really comes from... It's, it's a thing of saying, hey, there's God and there's news and we need to get it out there. And it's about, it's a combination of Greek, Latin, Old English words, whatever. It basically means good news, okay? Um, but for good news to be good, it requires, I think, two things, okay? First of all, it requires maybe a bad situation, okay? Secondly, and I'll explain it, it requires... Uh, you to trust the source of the good news. So for me, I can make this relatable. It's the Cricket World Cup. Uh, I'm South African. Um, yes, not a great situation. And uh, the other day, I was walking outside. I got literally three notifications at once. Checked it on my phone, and I, I just see A.B. de Villiers World Cup. I'm like, yes! Come on, we need, we need A.B. in here. Um, because A.B. de Villiers is a really good cricket player. South Africa has just lost three games in the Cricket World Cup. It's not going well for us. It's a bad situation. We need good news. And turned out it wasn't good news at all. Um, but the good news was good because there was a bad situation. Okay? That made it good. And secondly, I saw... Uh, I think it was the Cricket World Cup app had it on their notification. I had the Cricket app I follow. Another one put it on their, their notification on my phone. And uh, a news app from South Africa had it on there. So there was, I trusted where this information was coming from. Okay. And uh, 
when we drive and uh, we drive through the streets and we maybe B Metro saying uh, things are going to get better because this and that and that, uh, we have our doubts because we know where it's coming from. But if we saw uh, a reputable news agency report something good about our country and its future, and there was a trust in them, we'd still doubt, but we'd still be likely to get hopeful. And so what is the bad situation that we face as Christians? Uh, the bad situation is that we have sinned, okay? That's what the Bible says, okay? The Bible says that we've missed the mark, okay? And you have transgressed against God. You can only transgress against someone if they've put up a law, if they've put up a standard that you then go against. God says, don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't make for yourself another God. We transgress against Him. We sin against Him when we do those things. Okay? And God can't stand sin. He's holy. He's perfect. Sin is the opposite of God. Okay? Uh, in Romans 3, verse 23, I'm not going there. You can just write it down if you want to. It just says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Okay? We've all sinned and we've fallen short of the glory of God. That means that every single person here has sinned on this earth, past, present, future, has sinned, will sin, and that we have fallen short of God's glory. God's glory, His standard. His standard is holiness, perfect holiness. So how will we ever get to heaven? If God's standard is perfect holiness, all of us will sin, will continue to sin, have sinned. There's a problem. That's the bad situation we're in, okay? Um, in Isaiah 40, 59, there's another good verse just to hit this home. Um, it says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, uh, nor his ear dull, that it cannot hear. But your iniquities, your sin, okay, have separated you from God. Okay, sin comes, it separates us, it spoils us, okay, it robs us of stuff that God wants us to have. We're in a bad situation, far worse than South Africa is in right now, um, unless they're not safe, but anyway, let's not get there. Um, and so that is the bad situation. What is the source of good news that we get? Where do we get it from? Well, we get it from the Word, the Word of God, okay? And so if you don't believe in the power or how valid, if you don't believe that the, the Bible was truly written by God, it's valid, you, you have doubts about the source of the Bible, well, how can you trust the good news? So we can preach as much as we want, we can read the Bible as much as we want, but if we don't believe that the, the Word of God, as it says in 2 Timothy 2 verse 16, is breathed out by God, Okay, it says in 1 John 1 that in the beginning was God, and the Word was God. You know, it means that, hey, listen, from the beginning, the Word, the Bible, it was a part of who He is, and He breathed it out, and He gave it to us. This is what we base our lives on. These are the truths that we follow. That is the source of the good news. So we go there. We don't go anywhere else. We don't go to YouTube. Okay. We don't go to God TV straight away. I mean, there's some good stuff up there. I know. 
But if that is our source only, God is our source. We don't just Google, okay, God, what is the answer to my biggest question I've ever had, you know? And then, oh, good, let me click this link. No, we look at God's word. We believe it because we know it's true. And so coming back to um, our, our scripture this morning that says, you know, we have been qualified to share in an inheritance. Okay, I'm quickly going to s- go through this. Um, God qualifies us to share in an inheritance. So, that, so we were talking about sin on this spectrum and how it's completely separated us from God. And here, Paul is reminding the Colossian church that, guys, if you, are, if you are a saint, if you are a believer, if you've allowed God to come inside of your heart, and we'll talk about how that happens just now, you have, I have qualified you to share in a rich inheritance. Okay? That word qualify means to, make, to be made sufficient enough. Okay, you have qualified. South Africa qualified for the World Cup. They met certain standards and they could go. Okay, Us, we can't meet God's standards because His standard is holiness. We said we have all fallen short of His glory, His standard. So He made a way to qualify us so that we can meet His standard, but also that we can share in a rich inheritance. Okay, that is an amazing, amazing truth. So what does that inheritance mean? When I say to you, if someone came to you right now and said, okay, what is that inheritance? What would you say to them? We, we need to be able to understand what we receive as God's chosen people, as his sons and his daughters. What, what can we give people? What, what does he offer? What does he say? Come, this is what I have for you, but you're choosing this. When we understand our inheritance, it's like, boom, wow. I want to give, everyone, ha- everyone has the option to come and receive this inheritance. This is what it's about. So the word inheritance, and again, when we talked about earlier about the approach of reading the word of God, we need to understand how the people reading this in Colossians, when they had heard the word inheritance, where, what mindset were they in? How did they understand the word inheritance? Not how do you understand it today and how are you going to explain it? No, why was it written like this? Okay, Paul here is saying, hey, you have a rich inheritance when you're qualified. He's using that, that word, the Israelites, the Jews, they were very familiar with that saying because they had a rich inheritance. But here, Paul is talking to a non-Jewish church. Gentiles, and he's saying, hey, you guys have a rich inheritance. I don't know if you've heard, but the Israelites have, has, God has always told them they have a rich inheritance, but guess what? Now it's for all. So God, Paul is making sure that it, they know that it's for everyone. Whatever this inheritance is, it's for everyone. Okay? And um, when we think of inheritance, we think of, you know, the legal, you know, a passing down or uh, acquiring of land, goods, you know, things people own. And, but when we talk about the inheritance here, uh, we need to think of it from a theological point of view. Okay, what does it mean to inherit in the Bible? Um, and so in, in this context, uh, it would be, hey, you're going to be given something that has eternal value. Um, and so in the Old Testament, we read, uh, of Abraham, Abraham was promised, hey, you see uh, the land of Canaan, this will be your inheritance. 
see the stars uh, in heaven, the, the grains of sand on the seashores, that will be your inheritance. So it was already introduced to them. When they crossed over the Jordan River to the promised land, the Israelites were promised um, that they, you know, Jordan, uh, the land of Canaan will be yours. So it goes from Abraham to the Israelites. And then later on uh, in Psalm, it talks about, hey, there will be people that will remain true to God and they will in, inherit the world. So there's a progression. And uh, in, in Psalms uh, 2 verses 8, uh, let me just read it. It says, I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possessions if you remain true to me. In, uh, in 1 Kings 8 verse 51, it says that Israel, God's chosen nation is his inheritance it's God's inheritance it says uh, it says for they are your people and your heritage you brought them out of Egypt from your from the midst of the iron furnace so they're saying hey God this nation is your inheritance so you know just giving us a context and then in between uh, the testaments between the Old Testament and the New Testament Israel is scattered all over the world. They're lost. They, they're trying to, you know, find their purpose again. They know the promises that God has given them, but they're so lost. And it mo moves, they move from thinking about, hey, we have a physical inheritance, land, uh, you know, a great prosperous nation, to thinking, actually, what we need more is a relationship with God. And it, and it, there's, there's persecution. The Persian Empire is rising, the Greeks, the Romans. And so for Israel as a nation, they move from thinking more from physical to spiritual, relational. I, we need an inheritance with God. What do I do to have an eternal relationship with God? And so um, that's where the New Testament comes in amazingly. And Jesus is even asked questions like, Rabbi, What's, what must I do to have eternal life? Because they're realizing that actually their inheritance is not necessarily just physical. I need eternal life. I need, I need a relationship with God. And so in the New Testament, we see that, um, Abraham, that God is reminding, uh, Jesus is reminding the nation, saying, hey, remember, when Abraham received his inheritance, which was the land of Canaan and and um, a lot of descendants, it was by faith. You know, he trusted God for that at an old age. That's how he received it. He received his inheritance by faith. It wasn't by what he did. We see Jesus get coming onto the scene, and how does he talk about inheritance? He says, he, this description is given to Jesus that he is the son of God, so he is an heir, so he is entitled to inherit what? Everything. It says in Hebrews 1 verse 12, it says, But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir, the heir of all things, and through whom also he created the world. So he is the heir. He will inherit everything. Jesus inherits everything. And this is really important for us to grasp because it's so significant. Because then we see it talks about us. When we believe in Jesus, what do we inherit? It says in Titus 3, it says this amazing thing. If we think about Jesus inheriting so much, everything, this is what it talks about us. He saved us so that having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs of the hope 
of eternal life. So Jesus is, has everything, and then he says, when I save you, I give you everything. And so I quickly want you guys to just quickly stand up, um, because uh, I know uh, I'm talking, I know it's winter, just stand up, uh, stretch a bit, you know, just clear your mind space a bit, um, because I feel that what we're sharing this morning is extremely valuable. Um, it is of utmost importance, it is of eternal importance, not just for you, but for people that you will get into contact with. Okay, so you can sit down again. Um, so we're talking about inheritance. We're seeing that God qualified us, and we can share in that inheritance. And that's where we move on to just quickly uh, the word justification, which, is, which we see all over the Bible. Jesus has justified us to share in a rich inheritance. What does that even mean? What does it mean to be justified? And justification is a legal term. Okay, it's something, it's a legal uh, declaration that is made over our lives. And we need the, to understand why it's a declaration and that it is a declaration. In the Hebrew, uh, the Greek definition uh, would say that it is a legal act whereby the God, God declares a person not guilty for a sin. And we have to understand that it is a declaration because this, this is something that the Colossian church struggled with. And the word justification is used throughout the Bible, and it's even used in the Old Testament. And there's, there's, a, there's a verse in Proverbs that I, we can put up here, okay? Proverbs 17, verse 15. And it says that he who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous are both alike and abo ab abomination to the Lord. And so, again, what is the context here? We've got uh, King Solomon writing this, wise guy. He's writing to earthly judges, and he's saying, hey, listen, if you say to a guy who's wicked, everything's fine, don't worry, you met the requirement of the law, just walk away scot-free. Or you condemn the person that's actually righteous, that has done nothing wrong. That is like, that's an abomination to God. You can't do that. And so if we, if we think about the description, the definition of what justification is, that it is a legal declaration. It's saying to someone, hey, Cass, you did something bad. You actually need to go to hell for it. But right now, as God, I'm just pretending here, um, you don't have to go anymore. I'm declaring it. I see everything. As I declare right now that you are right in front of me. You are right before me. It's a, I'm declaring it. That's it. That's all it is. What has happened is that there are amazing friends, and I'm going to say this with a great heart. There, there, there are other forms of Christianity. The Catholics believe, and I know Catholic people that are amazing and that are saved. But the Catholic Church, in their doctrine, would proclaim that right, uh, justification is making someone holy, making someone right. And so that doesn't make sense, because if we apply it to this verse, it would say, can we just go back to uh, Proverbs 17? It says, so he who makes someone that is wicked good is an abomination to God. That doesn't make sense. Because God does, wants that. He wants us to help bad people be good by giving him their truth. But if we say, he who declares you know, the wicked to be an abomination to God, 
Ach, he who declares the, the people justified is an abomination to the Lord. That makes more sense. We can't just say, okay, um, you know, the Catholic Church would say, we need to make, you are sinful. You are not um, up meeting God's standard. So we're going to make sure that every day you come to church, you do this, you do that. Um, uh, when you sin, you have to come and you have to tell us your sins and then you need to go and forgive it. Um, that does, that's not the description of justification. Justification is God declaring over your life that in an instance you are, you are made right before Him. And so um, another way of putting this would be like saying, hey, a surgeon, a surgeon comes, and if there's something wrong deep inside of us, in, inside of us, he takes it, if there's a cancer, and removes it, okay? A judge comes, and he says there's something wrong with your legal standing, and I am now taking that away. I'm declaring that it's okay. And sometimes we confuse that God is, when we are justified, it's like a surgeon that comes in and takes everything bad out of me and now I'm good. God can't, doesn't do that because we are bad by nature. Okay? He still, so he, justification is him declaring that we are fine. Him changing us from the inside happens afterwards. That's called sanctification. That's becoming more like Christ. That doesn't save you. What saves you is that God declares you are right. Okay? It's like a university student that goes, doesn't attend class, gets bad grades, m messes up his whole course, okay, then goes to the dean and says, I'm so sorry, I failed everything, um, I don't deserve my degree, but please can I have a second chance? And the dean says, well, okay, don't worry, we'll just wipe it clean. Okay, that doesn't make him pass his degree now. Like, he's not past yet. Okay, he's just clean. His slate is clean. I said, okay, I'll, we'll, we'll just forget everything. We'll just forget everything you did this semester or this three years. We'll for, let it go. But there's nothing that qualifies him to receive his degree. So if we believe that Jesus comes, he, he, he gets rid of all our sins, there's still a requirement that we need to meet, which is perfect holiness. So justification is two things. The first thing is that God declares us to be just in His sight. So it's like, okay, I look at you. Um, I declare that you are a sinner, but actually because of my, Jesus' a sacrifice over your life, you can be saved. There's lots of verses like that. Romans 8 verses 33 says, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? If God, it is God who justifies, who is to condemn. So when we come and we are justified, that's it. That's all that needs to happen, okay? In Isaiah 61 verse 10, it says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul will exult in my God, for He has clothed me with garments of salvation, and He has covered me with a robe of righteousness. So it's almost like God sees us differently, okay? So that's the first thing He does. He looks at us and He says, okay, just like the university, she's like, okay, I'll forgive you, but there's a second part that needs to happen. He needs to clothe us with His righteousness. And the third thing there that I would put up is God declares us to be just in His sight because He credits Christ's righteousness to us. 
what, what is righteousness? Again, another big word. It is perfect obedience to the law of God. It is a right standing before Him. So we, we establish that there is a standard that we can't meet. Okay, we are sinful. God comes and He says, okay, if you believe in Jesus, I will make you just before me, but I'll also credit you with everything that Jesus did in His life to your life, and you will be saved. So it's, it's like that university student that didn't earn for any, work for any credits, okay? He, everything was taken away, but at the same time, the dean was like, it's okay, we'll just credit you with everything at the same time. And you're like, whoa, that's not fair. That's not fair at all. And that's our lives. It's not fair. We are sinful. We turn our back against God. We walk away from Him. And yet, when we turn to Him and we receive His salvation, He justifies us in an instant. He declares us to be justified. He doesn't come and He says, okay, Yanka, if you just change this thing, this thing, this thing, this thing, and you do that, 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 and you keep doing this, 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 then you will be saved. Then you will be justified. He says, I declare you be to be justified. And uh, I just want to finish with one illustration just to hit this home, drive it home for us. Justification is um, like this. If we had our lives uh, oops, there, okay, if, if we represented this coat, okay, um, Let's picture it, it was white, because there's actually nice white threading there at some point. Um, if it was white at one point, our sin comes and it instantly covers everything. It's not like a little bit, little bit, little It's just sin spoils, boom. When we say everyone is sinful, it doesn't mean we're all monsters. And we're like, yes, you're such a bad person because duh, duh. No, our sin comes and it instantly defiles us and it instantly turns, God can't, it separates us. Your iniquities have hidden my face from you. So instantly God can't look at us. So what did he do? He sent his son. Okay, let's have this picture here. Okay, nice blue jacket. Okay, he sent his son onto earth. Okay, Jesus came. It would have been nice if it was a white coat. Anyway, but uh, Jesus comes. He lives a life on earth, he goes through the same things that you and I have gone through, faces the exact same temptation, trials, everything, and he doesn't sin. There's no blemish. There is nothing that changes about his character. He is perfectly holy. Okay? This coat, this person of Jesus lived a perfect life, and he didn't sin ever. Okay, Jesus' Jesus's death paid for our sins, he died the death that we needed to, to die. And his blood is holy and perfect and amazingly redemptive. And so what happens is when, when, we, when we give our lives to Jesus, in Galatians, Galatians 2 verse 16, it says that, Do you not know that a person is not justified by works of law? Nothing you do can justify you. That's what we've established. But it is through faith in Jesus. If you believe today 
that I am sinful. I don't measure up to God's standard. I am in a place where I am separated from Him. I am like this coat. I am defiled. I need Jesus. And nothing I do can get me to God, into a relationship with Him, to share in that rich inheritance that He has promised me. Nothing I do can qualify me. Only He can take me from the dominion of darkness to the kingdom of His Son. If we believe in faith, it says, through faith, then He will justify us. Then, then His blood comes and it covers us. It covers our sin. It covers our shame. I mean, internally, we're still sinful. But when God looks at us, He sees His Son. When God looks at us, He sees, hey, my Son's blood has washed you clean. You are saved. So not only has your past been forgiven, but also I credit to you the perfect life that Jesus lived is now yours. And that's amazing. That means that nothing you and I can do in this life after we've made that step can make us more holy because Jesus is as holy as it comes. But what does God want to do? He wants to start changing the inside man. That doesn't justify us. That doesn't save us. That doesn't get us to heaven. That is just the fruit of wearing this amazing coat, this purpose, this identity of Jesus. And so if you are sitting here and you've never done this, you've never actually said, God, I truly believe I need this. I've tried to do it my own way. I've been like the Colossian church. I've, I've just believed whatever happens. I go to this church. I go to that church. I listen to this thing. I listen to that thing. And actually I've added or I've taken away from your truth. I've never had faith in Jesus never allowed his life to come and justify me in front of you. I want to do that today. I want to pray with you. Let's close our eyes.